The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Everybody calls me Whitney Seibold. Nice. It's, it's not so uh, exciting or interesting. I have to earn a nickname. Yeah, I think you earned that nickname. Well, I was you've given been, that nickname. Well, yeah, but you've been holding on to it for like 40 years. It's like in Dangerous Minds. We're like, I gave you an A. You have to keep it. Like, they gave you the name Whitney Seibold, oh, and you have to keep that. To live, up to, live yeah. up to the reputation. I think you've done a good job so like far. I, I, I feel really bad for Pendulette's child, mm. who's named Moxie Crime Fighter. <laughs> Moxie Crime Fighter Gillette has a, a big moniker to live up to. I, I have a firm belief that all those, like, names that parents think are cool are, like, really horrible when you're in elementary school. Mm. But when you're an adult, people love you for them. Like, well, your name is Moxie Crime Fighter? Why don't you come back to my place yeah, you, and I'll give you a shoulder rub? <laughs> you, you survived a, a, a litany yeah. of, of mockery. Yeah, like, I would, hate to have, I would have hated to be called Moxie Crime Fighter in elementary school, mm. junior high, or high school, and maybe even college. I would love to be called Moxie Crime Fighter now. That would be the best name now. Well, and, and now, as an adult, you have the initiative to change your name to whatever you want. You know, I've, nev- I've never really been tempted, but I, uh, I, I, I don't know what I changed my name a, to. I don't know if I, I feel, I feel like a Bibiani. Okay. We're, we're, we're going to be talking about Commando Cody in a second, but we're talking about our names for a second. I don't know uh, why. <laughs> here's a little insider baseball for you, though. The way I spell my name is not the way it's spelled on my birth certificate. Shut up! Uh, I was born W. I was named after Mount Whitney, uh-huh. and it was spelled with an H, and it's still spelled with an H on my birth certificate. And so they spelled it wrong. Yeah, on your uh, birth certificate. So, no, no, no. Uh, at some point along the way, I was tired of being teased for having a girly name, because uh-huh. right when I was named in 1978, something happened in the popular consciousness that my name instantly became a girl's name. Well, it's because Whitney Houston became a big star. Uh, that so. might have been yeah. it, but I... Like, I assume I, that had something to do with there that. Are all, there are also kids, like, slightly younger than me, uh, girls, who are also named Whitney. Sure. Uh, I only, I've only met one other boy with the first name of Whitney in my life. Okay. Uh, and he was in junior high school, and he was miserable to me. He hated me. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you, you took his thing. Well, it was, it was like, you know, for, <laughs> this is all I have. It's like, we're all 12. Hey, we have the first name. We same first name. We should hang out. No, we're 12 now. We're cool. We can't do something like that. Yeah. It's you like, wanted it to be no, like, we're 12. We can still be kid. Finally, someone who understands my pain. So this is what it What's sounds that? like when doves cry. <laughs> Maybe I'm just like my father. Cybold. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't even going Thank for that. I was going to uh, uh, But uh, my sister, my older sister, convinced me that uh, if I were to drop the H, mm. it would be a more masculine spelling. 
I would no longer be teased <laughs> if I if I eliminated the H from my name. And I the, said, well, I'll give that a try. That's some toxic masculinity yeah. right there. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was like seven or eight. Well, that's, so, when they, that's when they teach it to you. Yeah. So, so I said, well... I'm tired of being mocked. I want it to be a little bit more, like even more unique than Whitney already was. So I dropped the H and I, it's been off ever since. Mm. And I can't even sign my name with the H anymore. Ah. Uh, But technically on my birth certificate, I'm still Whitney with an H. So if I wanted to steal your identity, I have the information that I need now. Right. Because you have the correct spelling of my first name, you can just totally steal my whole, whole identity. Yeah. I don't know all of Whitney Seibold's social security number, but I'm willing to bet there's a number two in it. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to confirm or deny <laughs> how many twos there may or may not be in my social security number. Ooh, many twos. <laughs> We're talking about Commando Cody, okay. Sky Marshal of the Universe. One of the more recent episodes that we've done was a Republic serial called Radar Men from the Moon, which featured a character named Commando Cody, who was the direct inspiration for the character from the Clone Wars, Commander Cody, in uh, Star Wars. Commando Cody has an interesting sort of place in entertainment history, and we're not going to we're going to try not to cover all the same ground that we did in Episode Zero, but we might as well give you the primer on it. Um, Republic Pictures uh, was mostly known for doing serialized entertainment in the 40s and 50s. They would do the uh, short... They did features as well, but it was mostly serials. Republic is typically synonymous with a serial, even though, yeah, you're right, they did do some features. Mm -hmm. Um, But the majority of the stuff that they did were pulpy, episodic chapter storylines, much like Star Wars tried to ape with their whole uh, episode 4, episode 5, etc., Uh, So you would go to the movie theater and maybe you saw the first one. Maybe you jumped in in the middle of a serial and they would catch you up with a title scrawl. And then you would see some rollicking adventure. Maybe it was uh, Calpersons in the the Old West. Maybe it was uh, the Undersea Kingdom. Hey, it's the Undersea Kingdom for you and for me and it's fun. Or you can't resist, can you? It's one of my favorite things. It's uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 did a lot of these shows. Um, and uh, one of the more notorious ones, not because it was particularly good, but because it just had a great central image, is Radar Men from the Moon. Uh, Radar Men from the Moon featured Radar Men. They were from the moon. They were trying to conquer the planet, but it mm-hmm. mostly ended up being fist fights in office buildings. It wasn't very interesting. But the protagonist was a hero named Commando Cody who wore a really awesome bomber jacket, a jetpack, and a helmet that will look suspiciously familiar to anyone who has seen and loved the Rocketeer because that was directly inspired by Commando Cody. Mm. He flew around, saved the day, shot bad guys, saved the planet. Uh, He he not only had a rocket pack, he also had a, a rocket ship that he could easily just sort of jaunt off to other planets inside of. Yeah, and that original series, he mostly went to the moon. Hmm. Uh, Republic wasn't, like, super hard and fast with their, like, their cannon, if you will. So that flight suit and that costume, actually multiple different characters wore that in multiple Republic serials. So there would be, like, there was a character in Zombies of the Stratosphere... Hmm. Uh, which premiered the same uh, the same year as the one we're talking about now, Commander Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe. Uh, 
But and even though he was ended up playing played by the guy who plays Commando Cody in the show, an actor named Judd Holdren, he was playing a character named Larry Martin. Who's he's Commando Cody? But he's basically Commando yeah. Cody. But it's not canonical, and, is and it? Th- it's not part of the they, story. Well, I mean, a, a lot of the what we consider canon was born out of just a uh, familiar necessity. Mm. Like all these characters seem to be taking off from the same building. Yeah, they're taking off from the same building. That's the Republic Pictures building. Yeah, they were just filming around the office because that's what they could afford to shoot for cheap. And anytime so, they would spend some real money on something, that would pop up in future stuff. Like, mm. oh, we built this cool like kind of space age car. That car is in every single Republic serial I've yeah, ever seen. So, I built this cool kind of robot that looks like kind of like a vending machine that's in half of the ones I've ever seen. Like we, yeah, I, we, lo- I love that robot costume, by oh, the way. It's got these big clamps on it, like yeah, in Futurama. Big, sort of like slinky arms. It's Give really him the clamps! <laughs> <laughs> okay, clamps. You know what to do. The clamps? Yeah, the clamps. <laughs> the clamps! Uh, One of my favorite MST3K jokes from Undersea Kingdom involves that robot. Let's go hang out by the water cooler. We are the water cooler. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's this big cylindrical thing. It, like, it's, it, it's partially uh, inspired the design of Bender on Futurama. But, uh, yeah, the, the fact that audiences were watching enough of these things to recognize certain locations, mm. you, of course, begin to assume they're all coming to the same location. Mm. Hence, the idea of canon is forming in your mind. Republic Pictures doesn't give a damn about canon. They did not care. And again, there was when Republic Pictures started doing this, TV was barely a thing. Like people <laughs> it couldn't afford, a lot of homes, like it existed but... in like the early forties and stuff, but not a lot of people had it. You know, there was the actual distribution on there was spotty. There was no guarantee that anyone would ever see anything they ever did again, or if they did, they would see it in a theater, and who knows if they'd ever see all of it or any of the other serials that they did. Mm. So everything was pretty much self-contained. However, in the 1950s, television started to really grab a foothold in the American pop culture consciousness. Well, the, there was a big boom. It was uh, after World War II. Mm-hmm. A lot of manufacturing was the, going on all around the world. And, and, uh, uh, they started becoming more affordable. Yeah. They started to become in more or less every household. And so there was people were clamoring for what we now call content. And there was the original stuff, the news, the variety shows, the occasional television show, mm-hmm. Honeymooners, I Love Lucy... But they take anything. And so there are a lot of uh, uh, movie studios were selling off like syndicated rights to their various films. Here's like 50 films for a set amount of money or whatever. And one of the things that was surprisingly a pretty good fit, especially when you consider that TV is basically what killed the serial mm-hmm. because the serialized entertainment just went to TV. Uh, yeah, it didn't kill the serial. It just moved to a new well, venue. It killed the movie serial. But ironically, a lot of the serials were long enough or about the right length that they could air on TV as television shows. Mm. And so some stuff, a lot of it from Republic, ended up going to television as its own show. I saw uh, an early sci-fi show in my uh, when I went to UCLA. I went to UCLA Film School, and one of the required classes was History of, of American Television. Mm. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we watched, and it was all in chronological order, we watched The Honeymooners, we watched I Love Lucy, we ended up going to, um, what, I'm trying to remember how far we ended up going. I think we ended up going to about as far as The X-Files. Um, but uh, one of the first shows that we watched was a show called Captain Video. Oh yeah, Captain Video with Tobor. Ah uh, yeah, which is a... a T- Tobor was the robot. I vaguely remember the robot. What I do to- remember... Tobor is robot backwards. I... <laughs> I do get it. <laughs> okay. Captain Video, which was clearly just like two guys in like office chairs 
and there's a curtain and that's supposed to be like the cockpit and the whole plot was oh no someone stole the space mail oh no where how people gonna get their letters like like the post they just stole the post yeah that was like the plot of like the i think it was the captain video that we saw and it turns out that was a serial that ended up going on the television that wasn't even originally a tv show so there was this early period in the 50s Hmm. Where the line between motion picture serials and television was really starting to blur. Mm -hmm. And Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe, a sequel series to Radar Men from the Moon, is maybe the blurriest of all. Because it was originally planned and filmed as a television series. And it doesn't actually fit a lot of the rules of the classic Republic serial, i.e. they all end in a cliffhanger. Because that makes you want to go to the theater next week. Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe, these are self-contained episodes. Yeah. The villain isn't, like, defeated until the last episode, but the plot of the week is resolved every single time in a very television fashion. In fact, the framework for this is actually a lot of what we were going to eventually see in Star Trek. Uh, where like almost every episode ends like on the bridge of the ship, and someone mm. makes a bad joke about what they went through, and they go, "Ha ha ha ha!" I mean, that's just, that's just basic writing logic. But you it's know, very it's early. A little on. bit of a Daniel. What what I found fa- fascinating about finally watching uh, something something this early. This isn't the uh, oldest show we've covered on Council Too Soon. It's, it's not. It's the second oldest we've shown. Which one's the oldest? Collector's item. Was is that actually oldest. older than us? I didn't uh, realize that I, was. I believe it is. I'm gonna um, look it up just to be sure. Okay, I, you actually corrected me on this at one point. I could have sworn. No, I thought I thought collector's item was the second oldest. Oh, maybe so. So uh, uh, I'm going to check it out. But uh, because this one is straddling the line between theatrical serials, yep, and collector's uh, item is 1957. So this is the oldest one right the, now. Okay, this all is right. the episode. This is the oldest show we've ever done, <laughs> and for all we know, maybe will ever do because records start getting spotty in early television. That, that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, the. What we came to uh, accept as basic TV structure, which held into place for like 65 years. And it's still alive. And, and, and it's still alive today, although uh, curiously, TV shows have been going back to, um, I wouldn't call them like cliffhanger endings. They're more like gigantic arcs now. They're, they're, they play yeah. more like uh, gigantic movies now. Yeah. Uh, but... This is sort of like a good flashpoint for all TV evolution, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not just sort of the way structures would be seen in things like Star Trek. I think just in the way where, what, how do we tell TV stories? Well, we already have these old serials, which today people don't really remember. Only enthusiasts like you and I are mm. like familiar with these serials. People might be familiar with the concept. They mm. may have heard of a few, but I, I mean, don't know a lot of... people have like watched a bunch of them? I, like, I know some people who would go out and like seek out like the live action Batman or Captain America because it's Batman, Captain mm. America. Fair enough. And those are actually pretty typical of the era. So mm. you will have gotten the gist, but there's so many people who've never seen any. Yeah. And it's a yeah. shame. It's an interesting form. Uh, but that was where uh, TV came from. Oh, uh, it, 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 it wasn't just let's the serialized TV. This, I mean, the that news is, that is variety serious. shows that was always well, a thing, no, no yeah. like fictional tele- scripted television yeah. programs all come from this idea that we can have miniature adventures every week, yeah. and w- the template was already laid bare. We owe so much to those shorts, that those serials, that is, that nobody has ever seen before. And a lot of people actively disrespect. They equate them mm. with hokiness. And they were. They were People knew at the time uh, yeah, we're even that t- they were. We're even talking about how cheap Republic pictures were. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they knew. They they weren't highly respected Republic Picture no. serials. At the time, they weren't respected. No, I mean, people they liked were them, but they weren't, like, popular. Yeah, they like, were considered kiddie fair. Uh, to these days, you know, if you recognize Commando Cody, it's in sort of a kitsch uh, yeah. milieu. Uh, I know he inspired Star Wars or the Rocketeer, that kind of thing. And by the way, when I say not popular, yeah, they were making money there for a while, but they weren't. They, they were the, only, the critics weren't kind. They were only point. making money because they spent so little that yeah. only three people needed to see them for them to break even. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but in any case, so after the success of Radar Men from the Moon, Republic Pictures uh, decided to get in on this television thing. And the story's more complicated than that, but I'm mm. streamlining it for the podcast. They decided to get in on this television thing. Commando Cody seemed like a good bet for like a kid-friendly action-adventure show. Mm. And so they filmed three episodes. And then, for whatever reason, they decided to take a break on that and ended up filming another Commando Cody-esque series... Okay. Called Zombies of the Stratosphere, mm-hmm. which also starred Judd Holdren as a different character, but also in the rocket suit. <laughs> I don't understand that at all. And then they ended up filming the rest of the television series, which explains why there's a sudden cast change after episode three. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the show actually ended up, even though it was filmed for television, it ended up going to theaters first. It ended up going to theaters in... Hold on, I think I actually have a date here. Uh, It ended up going to theaters on February 17th, 1953. I don't have all the details on that. I assume that's the first installment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it wouldn't end up on television, in syndication, but on NBC, uh, until July 16th, 1955. So it was filmed as television, premiered as movies... Mm-hmm. And then eventually went back to television. And apparently amongst enthusiasts of pulp serials, debate rages on to this day whether this technically qualifies as a serial or a television series. Now, for our purposes, we are obviously declaring it a television series, but mm-hmm. it's also a serial because it was released that way. Yeah. But it was also intended to be for television and it was released on television and they never had another season. So for our purposes, we're saying it is at the very least both. Is that yeah, fair? And, and yeah, no, it's totally fair. Yeah, and that it, that it was shot and structured differently than the actual theatrical serials is relevant. And that's one of the that's one of the sticking points is that mm. this was might have aired in theaters, but it doesn't end on cliffhangers, which is a really important part of the serial format. Mm. Whereas on television, I guess they were feeling like people wanted a bit more finality. So, yeah, they gave the these shows an ending. But I will say this. For early sci-fi television, there's more of an arc in this season than I thought there would be. Like there actually um, is a kind of a beginning, middle and end and like and like a, a couple episodes that actually connect to each other really directly right at the end. Uh, like it actually I, feels a bit more of an arc than I thought it would. I, I suppose so. Maybe maybe as much as uh, Captain Power uh, in that. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. I, I was actually thinking of Captain Power a lot. I think Captain Power is a direct child of Commando Cody. In mm-hmm. uh, you know, hero. Not not that that's a show we've covered recently. Recently on Captain Too Soon, yeah. Captain Power is about a guy who has a super suit, and a couple of them fly around and they fight. Uh, you know, robots. Yeah, super, super robots. In in that that shows in the distant future, but you know, yeah. s- similar vibe. Oh, very much. Although so. uh, it's Cap- a little darker, but very yeah, much. Ca- so. Captain Power is an incredibly dark show. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I feel like in terms of if I'm trying to look at uh, Commando Cody sort of from a modern perspective, like in terms of modern TV writing, which didn't quite exist yet, 
did they intend to have this have like a big arc Mm. or were they just slowly getting better at telling the stories as they progressed through the 12 episodes? Honestly, who can say? Yeah. Honestly, and I I think it might be the latter because I've seen Republic serials and the arcs suck. (laughs) (laughs) They often do. Yeah. They often do. However, I will say, I will say this, whether it was intentional or by accident, it is what happened. Yeah. And, Although the show is, I'm going to be just flat out, just say it right here, often extremely dull. Uh, There are highlights and there is stuff I really like about it. And one of the things is that it does kind of peak and it actually does get better at telling the story in a serialized narrative format in which it's not just each episode leads into the next. Stuff actually happens that is relevant later, Hmm. which you can't always say for a public serial. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, so uh, let's let's talk real fast uh, about the uh, the the cast here. So we got, um, uh, as I said, we got Judd Holdren as Commando Cody. He is very square jawed. Uh, if you'll recall, when we talked about Radar Men from the Moon, Commando Cody's gone through a few changes since then. Radar Men from the Moon, he was. <coughs> well, we, me, we, we, much, we essentially have a reboot here. A t- yeah, a little a t- bit. TV reboot of the Commando Cody character. Because there's, he still mostly works out of like a scientific office and has two like sidekicks who are scientists one one man, one woman. Um, Joan and two uh, two guys who. They, we switch guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But like, so that's basically the framework of it, and he still does. All the flying into outer space and rescuing people and jumping off camera going, wee! However, for I don't know why, I guess they thought it would be cool. In in the original series, he just walked around without his helmet on all the time and just talked yeah, to people like just, they were co-workers. Just in a suit, yeah. In Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe, he is never seen without a mask on. We're talking like a full-on like Zorro mask. Uh it- I believe the term is a domino mask. Yeah, right. although it goes all the way around his head. Sometimes a domino mask is just sort of just sitting over on your face. Eyes. Like, yeah, like a Robin mask. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's never seen without it, and the whole idea is that Commando Cody is actually might even be an alias, and nobody can know who this really cool guy mm-hmm. is. Which I guess might suggest that if you want to talk about canon, if, but let's theor- let's 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 be nerds here for a second. There's two possibilities. <clears throat> One. The boring one. This is a reboot. Yeah, it's probably a reboot. Uh, it, it, and the it, fun it, one. It, it is. The fun <laughs> one. Give me a second here. The fun one. The previous Commando Cody either died or retired. But in because the name was so valuable, and because the rocket suit was like only had one of them. It's like the Phantom. Yeah, they just passed on the identity. Why not? So, like, that guy died or retired or, you know, whatever, changed careers, decided he really wanted to go into arc welding or something. I don't know what he's into, but, like... <laughs> Why arc welding? I, I don't know. It starts with the letter A. It was the first thing that came to mind. Um, <laughs> it could be aardvark hunting. Could, I don't could, know. Could he have been an architect? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he left the, the position for good reasons or bad reasons. The position was vacated. And so we have a new Commando Cody. Some people believe, and I don't think it actually, like, if you watch the movies, it makes sense. Some people believe this is actually the canon for James Bond. Which is, like, every time Wait, the actor what? changes, he, they're actually just oh, a new, a new yeah, person yeah. named James Bond. I've, like, I've they heard, just, that's their new code name. Yeah, I've heard, heard that theory yeah. positive. It um, actually doesn't track. No, it doesn't. Like, Roger uh, yeah. Moore remembers things that only happened to George Lazenby and so on and yeah. so forth. and uh, yeah, no, it's it's all the same character, or is it? Maybe maybe they're like they're like 
sucking his consciousness out to, like through a through a, a series of wires and domes they put on his head and putting it in a computer and then like zapping it into somebody else's brain. You need to stop watching reruns of my own worst enemy. God dang it. <laughs> <laughs> they have that chip they have that chip in his brain, like in my own worst enemy. No, I think the, the, I mean the the boring explanation is the actual explanation. It's that this is the reboot uh, because we meet Commando Cody. He's in a mask now. He's a little bit more of a superhero. Uh, he's he's got always a cooler in the jacket now. Yeah, he's got he's got, he's got like cool. various patches that look like things like rockets. And uh, what I really liked, he has a, a Star Trek: The Next Generation communicator on his chest. That kind of blew my mind. So like a lot of people give Star Trek a lot of credit for kind of inventing the communicator in TV sci-fi. Like you know they would beam down to a planet. He have that cool flip phone. Mm-hmm. Which actually did inspire the design of the flip phone, um, and uh, he was just like, "Yeah, oh, two to beam up, Scotty." <laughs> I don't know why he left. So he thought of something funny just now. So Spock said something funny the other day. <laughs> why is he Edward Robinson? <laughs> <laughs> it was the early pilot before we got to the Pike pilot. Such phrases on stuns, eh? Before Jeffrey Hunter, Edward G. Robinson was the original Kirk. <laughs> okay. That's a great idea. I kind of want to see that now. Um, so, uh, but yeah, in in Star Trek: Next Generation, they updated the communicators so like they're like what what do they call it the art, the chevrons? Is that what they're called? Like those little like Starfleet insignia? Just the Starfleet insignia. The Starfleet yeah. logo. Like instead of just being like a patch on their clothes, it was actually like a little mechanical device. And when they touched it, they would just say like two to beam up or yeah, whatever. Like they they didn't carry their communicator with them. The the insignia was their communicator. Yeah. And I thought that was so fucking original until I saw mm. this show. Because they did that in 1952. <laughs> Patch on the thing, th- press it, communicate, 35 boom. full years earlier. Uh, the problem Kudos. is, there's one problem, though. It's like this big round disc with a little uh, like knob in the middle. Yeah. It's a nipple. It looks like a I nipple, and a people like are reaching nipple. up onto their chests and constantly tweaking it, and it looks really <laughs> rude. Well, clearly it needed to redesign, but for the yeah. early proto version, that's kind of neat. It's kind of neat. That's fun. Good for them. Mm. Kudos. Kudos. Uh, in any case, so yeah, he still is like working at the Republic Pictures building, which has been made up to look like a science fiction office, which is basically just mean well, just tubes. Just on the inside. The outside, it, it, I think you even see Republic Pictures sign. Cut, in the I bed, think they like yeah. put a shrub in front of mm-hmm. it. Like it's pretty delightfully cheap. Um, and uh, yeah, and at the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the series, he gets two new uh, persons Friday. Uh, he gets a... a William Shallard as Ted Richards. William Shallard is a hard-working <laughs> character actor. Uh, died in 2016, but man, he was in everything. He was in like Invasion USA as third newscaster. He was in um, God, what was he? he was in Gog. He had an oh, un- I love Gog. He had an uncredited role in oh, them. Gog. Gog is wonderful. Gog uh, was an early 3D film. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, we should probably mention that TV took off so hard and so fast. Yeah. And did so much immediate damage to the film industry that uh, a lot of films had to innovate to think of ways to keep people in theaters. And that's one of the things and that led to... 3D was one, of, the, yeah, one yeah. of those innovations. So it was widescreen. Yeah. Like, 1950s was a really important decade for cinema. Um, but yeah, he was the mayor in, in the heat of the night. Um, and, uh, and one of my favorite in-jokes, uh, he was Martin Short's doctor in inner space. He was oh, also okay. the protagonist's doctor in The Incredible Shrinking Man. Oh, isn't that cute? And I'm willing to bet Joe Dante, Joe Dante thinks he's the same yeah. guy. <laughs> he, oh, Joe, he totally did that on Joe purpose. Joe Dante totally did that on purpose. <laughs> he totally did that on purpose. What uh, a delight. Yeah, so, really great, fun actor, and it was cool to see him in something this early. 
Um, and, and, and also, he's like such a professional. He just worked all the time. Didn't really yeah. matter. He was president of SAG for a little bit. Uh, was he really? I didn't yeah. know that one. That's cool. Um, and uh, his uh, their other associate is Joan Gilbert. Uh, Gilbert? Gilbert. Gilbert? <laughs> We're out of Gilbert license plates. <laughs> yeah, no. Send in more Gilbert well, license plates. My actress is also named Gilbert. <laughs> Joan uh, Gilbert. Uh, Gil- who was... Who, uh, uh, Played by Aileen Town, uh, who was also in Radar Men from the Moon, and she was in a lot of television. She had roles in, like, Lassie, Leave it to Beaver, Sea Hunt, The Donna Reed Show. She She played Superman's mother in The Adventures of Superman. Oh no! Kidding the, yeah. the the George Reeves show. Yeah, like the original, like I think the uh, like the Krypton, like the original George Reeves series. The first episode, they actually are on Krypton, and they're just like mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, uh, climate change is a thing, and they're just like, <laughs> no, it's not. Boom, Superman, <laughs> and they say superheroes aren't political. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, <laughs> who who says that? Nobody says that. So she was in a lot of other. She was in Gog t- as well. So like she was in everything. <laughs> Um, so they're, they're both scientists. They're there to uh, help. They don't really do much. Most of the time they just get kidnapped. Well, they, uh, they get kidnapped. They also, you know, provide color commentary and they like help adjust some dials. And that's something I admire about uh, this show. They had a really cheap set for the interior of the rocket. It, it was just a big, uh, curved back wall with some uh, video monitors. And once Although, again, once again, I cannot forgive any show, any movie that does this. On the rocket, they have rolling chairs. <laughs> no! Well, all, that was especially counterintuitive because although it was a set, I think it was on, like, risers. Like a slight, there, there was a little bit of a gimbal, clearly, because yeah, like, they could, like, tilt it a they, they were tilting it and moving it in a way. You could tell that the, the actors weren't just moving in unison. Like, yeah. they are actually moving the set. Yeah, maybe, and they, maybe they, just a smidge, but they were doing it. So, f- filming-wise, that's also impractical because they're yeah. going to roll right off the set. Uh, but I, I appreciate that... We saw a lot of action on the bridge, which is something we never saw in the Republic serials. Mm. And it's something I really like about certain science fiction shows. When you see people sort of at their jobs, or they're constantly doing stuff. Yeah. That's something that, that you see a lot on, on well, on Star Trek. Uh, when there's a, I remember a scene in uh, Next Generation where uh, Dr. Crusher's in the captain's chair. Mm. She's oh, like, yeah. She's like drinking her coffee. He's like, okay, it's just coffee. She's the captain right now. Yeah, just and covering someone's shift. Yeah, and, and you'd think she'd just be sort of sitting there doing nothing, but she's like tapping buttons and looking at stuff. Oh, like there's there's business. She made the most of it. Like she knows I'm not gonna get in this chair very often. I'm gonna make sure I'm doing stuff. <laughs> what was the name of the actress who played Beverly Crusher? Gates again? McFadden. Gates McFadden. Yeah. What a great name. <laughs> what an amazing name, Gates McFadden. D- didn't see her in a lot of, of things. She was in uh, Marker with Richard Grieco. Wasn't she the uh in um or, or was Patriot it Booker Games? with Richard Grieco. Wasn't she? She was in one of the of the uh, Tom Clancy movies. Wasn't was she like oh, in, I think she uh, was, yeah. October or one of those? Saw an episode of Dream On. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, three episodes into this series, we're gonna have a major cast shift, and there will be like one line of dialogue that explains it. Where uh, sadly. Ted, yeah, is Ted Richards, of. played by William Shallard. He's only in the first three. He's better than the guy they replaced him with. But the guy who plays them with is it brings his own flavor to it. Uh, the new character, Dick Preston, <laughs> Esquire, <laughs> uh, is played by Richard Crane, uh, who is another person who was in everything. And by everything, I mean like a ton of films you'll never see. He was in The Phantom Plainsman. Oh, that hit. You know, everyone liked that one. <laughs> uh, he was, what else was, I'm looking at his filmography right now. He was in stuff like Dynamite. 
and uh, Leadville Gunslinger and the Neanderthal Man and Bailout at 43,000. And the Alligator People, I've actually seen that one. Uh, but the this biggest hit, like the one that people probably know him best of, in part because some of it was rescued for MST3K, is he was Rocky Jones. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Rocky Jones. He was in several uh, uh, other serials, one of which was the Rocky Jones serial, uh, in which multiple episodes of which were uh, turned into feature films. And I think they think they had two of them on MST3K, didn't they? Didn't they have, like, Crash of the Moons and one other? Something like that. It, I, I can't name that off the top it's of so my hard, head. It's so hard to remember. But um, Rocky Jones was a very typical, like, sci-fi, family-friendly outing. Uh, in the 1950s, where uh, he was a hunky, square-jawed hero. Uh, he had a dorky sidekick who thought he was a ladies' man, but was not. There was a plucky young kid who, of course, knew everything and did everything, and you hated him so much. And, uh, and of course, there was like a heroic sort of Princess Leia type. And um, they... Uh, there was this one really cool one was where there were like two moons that were caught in orbit around each other and they were like flinging out into into space, mm. crashing into everything, and <laughs> that was kind of fun. It's a cool image. Cool image. Bad show. <laughs> show serial, however you however you encountered it. It's not particularly good, but it's kind of fun. Um, so it's interesting that to just see him play second fiddle here, or rather third, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, and the basic plot of this the series of uh, uh, Commando Cody is uh, he is in a constant life or death struggle with an intergalactic dictator known as the ruler uh, who is played by Gregory Gay hmm. uh, who is a Russian American actor he was born in St. Petersburg and um, yeah he was in a ton of stuff as well um, trying to think of like what if he had like a big one uh, he was in Dodsworth Oh, we saw Dodsworth recently. Yeah. That was the Best Picture nominee. Yeah, so that was kind of a big one. Mm. Uh, he was in Test Pilot. He had a small role in Test Pilot, another Best Picture okay. nominee. Uh, he was in the 19th... 19- Test Pilot is such a miserable film. Yeah. He was uh, <laughs> He was in Ninochka, which we're going to talk about in the next episode of Only the Best. Um, so he actually did a pretty good career. He had a small role hmm. in Casablanca. Okay. Like a, like a one or two line role. In Casablanca. So, like, he was in everything. Big big stuff, small stuff. Flying Discmen from Mars. Like, mm. whole tons of crap. Um, and his whole thing is he wants to conquer the Earth. But, and we find out in the first episode that the reason why he can't just send his ships along and do it, which would be a pretty short show, is that Commando Cody has saved the planet Earth preemptively from intergalactic peril mm. by seeding the atmosphere with radioactive dust... Now, I know what you're thinking. That sounds like a fucking terrible idea because I've seen either Snowpiercer or Highlander 2 The Quickening. <laughs> but in the case of this particular series, it's actually a good idea because it prevents things from entering our atmosphere so fast that they could hurt us. Okay. What I've heard dumber shit. Why not? Fine. Fuck it. Let's do let's go here. So what happens is the alien menace has to work through proxies here on Earth where they like use radio communication to get like American spies to sort of sneak up on Commando Cody and sabotage his various outer space missions. Um, or they have to do what I do think is the best part of the series, Roland Emmerich shit. <laughs> That that is really impractical, world destroying stuff. Yeah, like the first few episodes, like the first episode 
of Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe. Uh, he hires two new people, and then they build stuff in a barn. That's the episode. The first episode features the bad guys doing two things that make me laugh. Hmm. One, constantly spying on our heroes. Like, there's actually a bit in the pilot episode where they're hiding behind a painting and the eyes are missing and they're looking at them. They are constant. Every time the good guys leave a room, the bad guys just pop out of a secret wall and just go, no, oh, steal their research. That happens like three times in the pilot. Yeah, and, the, the, and, and the uh, heroes are such doorknobs. They don't, <laughs> they don't seem to notice. Now, but the other thing is they keep I, uh, trying to burn down this barn and they can't do it. You're trying to invade the planet and you can't burn down a barn. You pointed this out in our episode zero episode where we talked about uh, the Commando Cody serial about how the ultimate bad guys are these interplanetary, uh, you know, Ming the Merciless like you know, space lords. Yeah, larger than yeah. life characters. They wear really colorful outfits and they have really exotic uh, equipment that they can use and they can like space mani- guns. Yeah, manipulate and planets yeah. and one episode they reflect the sun so it's as hot as seven suns and in order to do any shenanigans on Earth they have just hire like mob guys. Yeah. Now if yeah if, if that's your if that's your entry <laughs> Like, let's say you're watching, you know, a, a modern day science fiction film and you know that there's like science fiction afoot, uh-huh. but uh, the hero, an ordinary human being is, you know, is investigating something that's earthbound and they see mob guys uh-huh. and the mob guys, it turns out, have some like really elaborate connection to these space guys. Mm-hmm. That's a good way in. Yeah. But I don't want those mob guys to be one of my main characters. I there The only thing I can think of that actually did that exact plot point pretty good mm-hmm. was Superman, the animated series. Okay, uh, and the reason why is because uh, Darkseid has an interest in Earth, but he's not eager to get there. So he has people like come to Earth and just sort of fuck around a bit. And one of the things that they do is they give like awesome like superpowered laser weapons to mobsters. Mm. Why? We're destabilizing things. Mm. You know? know, like that's that's the whole deal. We're like, and once they're in power, cool. We got guys with like really cool lasers and shit who will help. Like that kind of makes sense. It's thin, but it kind of mm. makes sense because. If you think about it, that's the kind of shit that spies actually do. You know, they like, they sow discord, mm-hmm. they like fund revolutions and shit. You know, they're trying to destabilize. And you don't just do that by like throwing James Bond into the mix. You actually have to sort of work grassroots and work your way up and like shake up the entire system. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're getting here on Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe. And Sky Marshal of the Universe, it just feels like. I don't know. It feels like a rookie mistake. Like, oh, we're trying to we're trying to uh, destroy the planet Earth, but we can't get in because of that weird shield thing. Um, I don't know. Who do we hire? Uh, have you tried goons? <laughs> like hired goons. Like what? Who is that? Goons hired goons hired goons. Ah! <laughs> but like, I always imagine that life of a goon in like pulp stories must be really. <laughs> kind of fascinating you're just sitting there being all larger than life and drunk mm. and then the guy comes in with like clown makeup and a giant mallet and just like i need two goons for a wacky scheme and you're just like uh we're goons and then you actually have to have like a bit of an interview and like maybe some paperwork and i don't know it just struck me as a weird gig i always thought it'd be kind <laughs> well, of fun to like just follow like a goon in the batman universe the guy's just like i fought batman 600 times I'm getting pretty good at it by now. I've hit him I got it. I hit him once. Hit him in the jaw three times. I mean, he's hit me back. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I, one I time, love, I think he might have pulled something. I would love to see like somebody living in the science fiction universe, just their mind being completely blown. It's like, hey, 
Come back here to the back of the club. Oh, yeah, what is it? Yeah, there's a bad guy back there. He's got a deal for you. Oh, great, great. I, I, I could use some work. I want to be a batter guy. Let me talk to a big bad guy. And and he goes into the back room, and it's all dark, and, and it, like, twists around. It's like some space monster. Yeah. We need your help evacuating trucks. Like, what the fuck just happened <laughs> to my brain? Yeah, it's this Lovecraftian nightmare. Yeah. You lose your <laughs> mind looking at it. It's like, oh my god, this, uh, what, what do you want me to do? Oh, space lord, do you need me to, like, and sabotage they... the planet or hand over nuclear codes? No, we we, ha- we have this, like, trucking line that we need you to, like, sort of louse up for a little bit. <laughs> because this other guy with a communicator on his chest has a rocket. Really? Because as a Lovecraftian monster from space, it seems like you'd be able to handle that kind of shit. No, we can't really drive. <laughs> it's hard with these tentacles. They were not made for us. As it turns out, we're really allergic to gasoline. And if we get near trucks, we break out. So it's ridiculous, basically, is my yeah. point. So, but after a few episodes of just, you know, flunkies... Mm. I give the show credit. They escalate things pretty hard. And the majority of the episodes in the series are them doing shit that, like, eventually when Roland Emmerich would do it, people are like, oh, shit, that's pretty cool, actually. Or at least it looks cool. So he would do things like try to freeze the planet. And mm-hmm. when that failed, he would do things like reflect the, the sun so there are, like, seven suns in mm-hmm. the sky. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's actually some pretty hardcore shit. How do we fight that? And it turns out you fight that by sending Commander Cody up in a rocket. And then well, in every episode, he has to fix something on the outside of the rocket with his rocket suit. Uh, that happens in every fucking episode. Happens. It's so boring. Uh, I'll say this. A lot of the special effects were just reused from the serial. Like, yeah. There's one shot of Commander Cody flying through the sky, which is used in every episode. Yeah. Uh, Several shots of him taking off are there, reused. There's a, yeah. a couple cool effects, though. There's a, a one bit where it's clearly a, like a miniature Commander Cody mm-hmm. that they had flying over, I think, a miniature set. Because you could see his shadow on the ground. Yeah. And it was sort of like angling down uh, in a convincing sort of way. And it was cut with footage of him... Sort of just grabbing the back of a truck head first. Yeah, it was pretty good. So there's some really well, some fun visual. I stuff. actually, I think this, I think this actually should deserve some credit. Every once in a while, not often, mm. but every once in a while, every other episode or so, they would have like a really gorgeous shot. Like there's this one shot where Commando Cody goes to the ruler's alien planet, um, and oh, I think it's the one where he goes to the moon because what they're doing is they're bringing the moon closer to the planet Earth. Mm. Which, of course, would wreck everything, even before it got here. Like, it would just be bad. Um, well, and, and they address that they do. The, the moving the, the moon closer to the Earth would have these specific effects, which are, for the most part, pretty accurate. Yeah, in a general way, but they, they, they read something once. Good for them. But he goes to the moon, and he's, like, in this weird moon base, and he gets electrocuted, and there's this really pretty Janusz Kaminski kind of shot of like sunlight <laughs> streaming in from a hole in the cave and he's getting lit. actually like this looks pretty good um the I'll, I'll give a shout out uh to uh, the uh, cinematographer Bud Thackeray mm. uh who did a lot of pulpy stuff he did stuff like the Phantom Rider and the Crimson Ghost and Son of Zorro but he would eventually work on some films that you might have known including Bojest and Coogan's Bluff Oh, no kidding. All so, right. yeah, they, they had some talent here, like, to their credit. And every once in a while, there'd be a cool-looking visual effect. Every once in a while, there'd be a really good-looking shot. The episode where they bring in the robot, mm-hmm. which is literally, again, just lifted from Undersea Kingdom, where they had, like, three of those. But they only have one left. 
And the robot just walks up to the Republic Pictures building and, like, hits a security guard on the head and comes in. And everyone's like, oh, no. In fact, they were filming uh, Commando Cody that morning when one of the executives thought he'd have a little fun by putting on the robot suit and just wandering into frame. Because that's what it looks like. It looks like it's an accident. Like, what the hell? Are we filming Undersea Kingdom, too? What happened here? But, like, they actually, like, have, like, a camera, like... The idea is that the bad guys are remote controlling the robot. Mm. And there's a camera in the robot and the like sort of handheld like it almost has like a steady cam panaglide quality to it like it's a pretty good pov shot mm. for this low level of production where they honestly probably wouldn't care too much about it like it looks pretty good and uh this series i'm actually curious how public domain commando cody is because i know radar men from the moon is public domain Mm-hmm. I actually don't know if this is public domain. And what I really want to know is if Commando Cody himself is public domain. Because oh. I want to reboot Commando Cody. <laughs> I would love to reboot well, that, Commando Cody. We, but we've had it. We had the Rocketeer. I know the Rocketeer no, was a while but ago. But I don't have the Rocketeer. Now. I can have Commando Cody. He's public domain. I can do anything <laughs> I want with him. It'd be awesome. Okay. Yeah. I want to do well, it. What, what do you want to do with Commando Well, Cody? I want to find out. Here's what I want to do. I want to yeah. find out what other Republic serials are in public domain. Okay. And, like, just have, like, some fun crossovers. Like, Commando Cody goes to the Undersea Kingdom. <laughs> okay. You know? Like, and you're doing, like, a comic book or mm. maybe a low-budget movie or something like that. But I think it'd be fun. Commando Cody's neat. Like, it's just the Rocketeer, but different. Would just you, redesign you, the helmet a little would bit. Would you set it in the 50s or would you set yeah, it in the modern I'd set, day? I'd okay. set it in the 50s. I'd either set it in the 50s or I'd set it in a future that was suspiciously like the 50s. Okay, so yeah. like tomorrow, but a lot less racist, Tomorrowland sort of thing. Yeah, but but a lot less racist. Yeah, yeah. like preferably not racist at all. Like that's the idea. Like some something utopian, like yeah. Star Trek. No, uh, th- this is all you know, a, a show full of white people, but it's mercifully free of like stereotyping. Uh, comparatively to a lot of other yeah. stuff, yeah, that's pretty. I mean. Not having any non-white people, sort of, (laughs) which makes it fundamentally racist because they apparently did not allow anyone else onto the set. I don't know if that's like a mandate, but apparently it didn't happen. So that's not great. But uh, at the very least, when you're watching it, there aren't a lot of bits. The only thing about it that kind of sucks is that Joan doesn't really get anything to do. She she co-pilots the ship. Which yeah, is well, she better does, than a lot of other characters uh, of, of her, you know, she, female characters would get of the era. She but, does just as much as Dick. Okay, I, I took me a second because that sentence. But yeah, the, the guy no, Dick the, the, is the, like... The character they, of Dick, that Yeah, is. both of them basically just sort of futz around on the ship and are just there. They're just... They're, they're, um, uh, they're Watson. They're the doctor's companion. They're just there to make the hero look cleverer. Hmm. We're like, oh, they're smart. But Commando Cody's smart. <laughs> so Commander Cody just looks so much cooler when he's around them. And of course, they get kidnapped pretty much every episode. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's a rare episode that they don't get kidnapped, or at least one of them isn't in mortal peril. Which is basically the function of most sidekicks in superhero stories, especially of the era. I can't really give them too many demerits from that. But it always bums me out when you have a person who's, like, in the whole series and gets very little to do. Mm-hmm. At the very least, Dick... And I'll, I'll say this. I was going to mention this right now. Because um, the replacement character, Dick... Mm-hmm. Ted was notable because he's played by William Shallard and he's actually bringing, like, a little bit more, like, finesse to the role... The role was badly written, but like he just you just kind of believed him more as like a real person, just because he's a good actor. Uh, Richard Crane as Dick Preston, not a good actor. 
not the worst actor I've ever seen or nothing, but he's clearly not like secretly Olivier. Like he's clearly just this sort of like, ha ha, I'm in a serial. <laughs> but I'll give him credit for this. He actually tried to make the character his own, and you can tell that like once Dick comes in, and basically it's what happens is at the beginning of episode four, they're all in an office, and then as soon as you realize that's not the same guy. Dick says, oh, yes, I know that. My predecessor, Ted, who's a really good friend of mine, told me that. <laughs> he added that really good friend of mine, just so you know he's cool. Also makes it sound like Dick's trying way too hard. So uh, the idea is he is kind of trying way too hard. And he's end up uh, uh, basically being kind of the jokester of the crew. And he almost always gets the last line of dialogue, at which point people roll their eyes because he just said something silly like, oh, no, the planet nearly froze. It's a good thing. I that's too bad I bought that warm coat. I won't get to use it now. And they're like, ha 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 ha. You know, you really shouldn't stand on a frozen earth cuz you could melt all this stuff. Thank you for the my blue heaven. Yeah, you're quite that's welcome. one of the funniest movies uh, ever. I'm I'm looking up like public domain characters. Captain Video is in public domain. Yes. You can use Captain Video. Oh, that's great. Commando Cody, however, does not appear to be. Damn it. I think Republic Pictures probably still owns I think, Commando Cody. I think Cody. the movie like the Raider Man from the Moon, I think that's public domain but not necessarily the intellectual yeah, property. But yeah. the the character as yeah, belongs to somebody else. Dang it. Well, do Captain Video. That's there, fun. There's a lot of fun characters you yeah. know, in public domain that you could still use. Yeah, and it's, and it's not, you know, the idea with public domain is you do have to re-up these things, and sometimes people just don't care. Mm. So what happened to H.P. Lovecraft's work. People just didn't care for decades, and so no one bothered they to re-up it. And now they're all in public, in public domain. They're all public, yeah. public domain now. You can make any H.P. Lovecraft okay. movie you want. And public domain laws are constantly changing because of Mickey Mouse. Mostly because of Disney. <laughs> yeah. Mostly because, although they're starting to get a little more stringent now, and they're actually starting to creep up on Disney, so... We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what Mickey Mouse will never ever be public domain. Should be, Mm. but will never be. Anyway, well, uh, they're going to find some way to like re-register Mickey as like a symbol rather than a character. Uh, They'll probably will, but Mm. anyway. Um, Anyway, so that's that's the the show. Okay, so let's we'll we'll run it through fast because very little happens in any of these, but we'll give you the gist. Mm. Uh, of all of I mean, the episodes, the, most notably, there's a robot episode. There's <laughs> there's the the heating episode, and there's the uh, the moon is flying through the earth episode. Well, actually, there's the fro- frozen earth episode. I like the ones. I actually one of the things I love about these Republic serials is uh, it feels like almost all of the creative energy hmm. uh, went into naming them because okay. the names are all cool. The pilot episode of and and. I'm not even well, sure if they would have been called that. They're all very superlative. Yeah. yeah, of course, they're very superlative, but that's cool. I mean, they all sound like they would be, like, pretty cool Star Wars movies. Like, the first Commando Cody Sky Marshal of the Universe episode is titled Enemies of the Universe. I want to see that. That's a great title. The what? next one is called Atomic Peril. Something I, I lo- this is something I feel like is missing from a lot of uh, pulp sci-fi entertainment. Yeah, uh, I remember going to a comic book museum once. Uh, yeah. I went because they had a big Mad Magazine exhibition, but they also had some like old original Jack Kirby art uh, where he did Avengers stuff and like Doctor Doom stuff, yeah. like fa- Fantastic Four stuff. And yeah. um, you look at a character like Doctor Doom and. They're always so demonstrative yeah. in their wrath, theatrical, and they, and they yeah they speak in these gigantic terms. They're I I shall I shall destroy you with the greatest power in the entire universe, and there's no way your puny mortals could could ever supplant me. And then you fast forward to the movies, and 
Thanos is kind of sad. Um, <laughs> Doctor just, Doom got the uh, got the real short shrift here. Doctor uh, Doom is seriously one of the great comic book villains, <laughs> precisely because he's big and theatrical. Doctor Doom was partly inspired. I'm sorry, Darth Vader was partly inspired by Doctor Doom. The overall look, the big presence, yeah. the cape. That's a very Doctor Doom kind of persona. Like, I feel like, and I just feel like the movies. He's just like, and he's a businessman. But you, you look at these serials, you look at like especially previews, like yeah. uh, movie trailers from the time, and how they always like this. It's not like this is a good movie. It's really intense, says Newsweek. It's oh, it's always like the shock sensation of our time. Yeah. Once in a generation will you see a film like Robot Monster. See, that's what the Fantastic Four movie needs. And I know Disney's mm. going to get around to rebooting it eventually, but that's what they they'll, need. They need just, it to be... They'll just make they, it slick side. They need it to know. feel more like early Star Wars. They need it to be big. They mm. need it to be a little brash. That's the fun. I want Doctor Doom to be over the top. And I know some people are thinking to themselves, well... That's not really the way of it in the MCU. Here's the thing. Actual people on this planet are over the top. Hmm. Not everybody, <laughs> but they're out there. Yeah. And they're great. They're some of our favorite people. Like John Waters. John Waters <laughs> is a Batman villain who happens to be a great guy who loves cool movies. Like that's... He, you would totally like see him like in a 1960s Batman episode as a great, great like film director villain. Oh, why, hello, Batman. I am the king of filth. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like he'd be great. He's an over. He's a larger, him, Dreamlanders. He, he courts this sort of larger than life persona about himself. And I'm sure if you get him, like I've never talked to him. I'm sure if you got him like just on a one on one and just hung out with him, he wouldn't be that over the top. But that's how we perceive him because that's the image he wants to present. A lot of people want to present a larger-than-life image. Doctor Doom is just one of those guys. But he can back it up. He actually is the greatest scientist in the world and the greatest magician in the world. And he actually does like run a country just I, I'm I, my point is I miss the theatricality me too I, just I, want, I, I want a good Doctor Doom is you, what I want you read like a Marvel comics from the early 60s and everything is the biggest thing imaginable mm -hmm. just in terms of the language uh I feel like in ground in the, and of course the big uh, fashion right now is to ground everything, make it look as mm -hmm. real as possible. Uh, you know, unless you're making like something like Speed Racer. Um, the uh, the approach, and I think Batman Begins had a lot to do with this, mm. but there were movies that were you know set the precedent before that. And it's to like create a world where it feels like what circumstances would be needed to create something that looks like this. Yeah, and, and kind of how real is it? So by the time we get to something really outlandish like Guardians of the Galaxy, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel outlandish anymore, does it? Yeah, now it feels like kind of a natural extension mm -hmm. of like Iron Man like came out to the world. I am Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Superheroes are real. And then and, it just and, started a cascade effect. It's of course supposed to be the end of it. There wasn't. Yeah. They never intended to well, do the I'm sure, MCU at that I point. I assume they wanted to do a sequel, but like M maybe. But yeah. the whole idea was if if this fails, this is the end of that story. Of course, of course. But my point is that that created a cascade effect, and yeah, mm. by the time we got to a raccoon and a talking tree, we weren't really battening an eye at that point, yeah. and so you had the freedom to be weird. I actually think that's kind of an amazing thing that they did. Well, um, it, it's it's upsetting though because uh, because we're missing that theatricality. It's super we're missing duper the, the, strange the and strange. And you're right, we're kind of taking images. it for granted. I know, and that's what I like. Okay, this is yeah, the way sad. this universe I miss looks. The theatricality. And like, I, I do kind of like this sort of brief era we had. It was really sympathetic. Where, uh, it was this weird thing with a gun. Yeah. Where after Batman really came out in 1989, and it was a huge hit. It was giant. Like you know, it was 
came out of nowhere too because it was the guy who did Beetlejuice and the guy who was Mr. Mom and they it's, made a I mean, German expressionist superhero movie and everyone loved it. What? And it, and it was huge. It was hugely marketed as well. Oh yeah, well, everybody giant. was really looking forward. But there to was it. nothing like it at the time. And it, but what it did have, even though it completely eschewed the Adam West sort of jokey quality to it, it was big and theatrical. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> what I still think is really interesting is I'm not surprised that the various superhero stories, <clears throat> excuse me, that the various superhero stories that studios like clamored to make in the mm. wake of Batman 1989 were in that big theatrical quality. You know, your Dick Tracy's, your mm. The Shadows, you know, yeah. where they're kind of like the, the 30s pulp heroes. Yeah, yeah, gorgeous, larger than life, everything looks like a poster. It was a fun era. It was a fun era. I liked it a lot. Everything was really stylish. I liked that era of superheroes. Yeah, I mean, they weren't all winners, but the ones that were winners were great. Like Mm. Dick Tracy, Darkman, The Rocketeer, The Shadow. Those are good flicks. Mm. But what always baffles me is that when Batman was a success, studios didn't say, oh, they liked Batman. What other comic book superhero should we do? That's not what they said. No. What they said is, what other superheroes from the 30s and 40s should we do? Mm. That was an odd choice, and I didn't really... (laughs) I don't don't think it's that odd. I think it is. Especially when you look at Tim Burton's Batman, the way it looked and the way it felt. It was very classical. I felt like they were going for the aesthetic and Mm. trying to pick projects that met the aesthetic rather than... Batman's a hit. What other DC superheroes are there? Because that's what the the geek would do. It's like, oh, we like Batman. Okay, let's bring back Superman. Or let's, I don't know, do Zatanna or well, Catwoman Superman, or whatever. Superman had just had, uh, Superman 4 was just a few years oh, re- before Batman. And, and then bring him back or reboot it. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like that, It wasn't that crazy an idea. I mean, Superman was dead at that Superman point. Superman was pretty, yeah. okay, listen, Superman was pretty dead. Maybe you don't go straight to Superman. Maybe you go from Batman to... And I don't know how long it had been since we'd seen Wonder Woman on TV, but it was kind of recently. It was kind of recently, but yeah, but it's also got that kind of retro quality, I think, at the time. So maybe you could have done Wonder Woman. But in any case, it it surprised me that they didn't do what we would normally think of today as, I think, the rather obvious thing, which is do other superheroes Mm -hmm. from that who are like Batman. And what they decided to do was the superheroes that kind of predated Batman. I wonder when it about off the air for a decade at that point. Yeah, so Wonder Woman's right. Wonder Woman's fair game. Yeah, I think I think so. I don't think Wonder. I think you could have recast it, and people would have been like, as long as Linda Carter gets a cameo or something, we're happy. Like Mm. that probably would have been fine. But like, yeah, I honestly think that it's kind of odd that we ended up getting Dick Tracy and the Shadow and the Phantom because the difference between Batman and those characters is Batman was still around. Mm. People were still reading Batman comics. People were still playing with Batman toys. The Shadow, the Phantom. It's not that they were completely gone, but it feels like they were the kind of superheroes that the people who were running studios and were and were kind of old remember mm-hmm. from their youth, and that's what they decided to push rather than see what young people were super interested in. Some of those movies are really, really great. I'm really, really glad we have them, and I really warms my heart to see people talking about how, like, yeah, The Phantom was one of my favorite movies growing up. That's weird. That's awesome. That's so cool. It's not my favorite, but it's fun. It's a cute flick. I like the Phantom actually. I like the it's, Phantom fine. I I, I, th- I think it's too cheap for its own good. Like it, yeah. they were clearly writing something much bigger than that movie was. Yeah, they were they were writing a check their film couldn't cash, but like mm. it, it's fun. I, it's no The Shadow. It's no Dick Tracy, but mm. it's fun. But uh, Slam Evil. Slam Evil is one of the great <laughs> one of the great superhero catchphrases <laughs> of all times. Don't just don't just fight evil. Slam Evil. Slam Evil. That's what it's here for. Um. 
but um, but in any case, yeah. And so we ended up getting resurgence, kind of, of Commando Cody with the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer is amazing and holds up really good. Very good film. It holds up really good. The action Better. sequences are made. The flight in that movie, fantastic. One of the great superhero scores ever. I'm talking top five. They got the director of the Rocketeer to make one of the Captain America movies. Yeah, the, the, the Rocketeer is better than the Captain America movies. Well, but the first Avenger feels like it's kind of of a piece with the Rocketeer because it takes place yeah. in the forties. It's got like kind of retro vibe, and you could tell that they were going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah. Anyway, uh, the show ended up going about twelve episodes. Um, and fact, uh, it ended up going 12 episodes. No, I, I, I told you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and they had titles like, I, I meant to get back around to this. Uh, so we had Atomic Peril where, um, oh no, can we get a rocket into space? Yes. Uh, then we had Cosmic Vengeance, which I think is also about, oh no, can we get a rocket into space? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next episode was Nightmare Typhoon, where, <laughs> they, where they're seeding all the clouds on Earth so that it is constantly raining. And they actually got some pretty good stock footage for this of like cities being like destroyed by like tidal waves mm. and like the Statue of Liberty being dwarfed by a big wave. And yeah, it's a model on a beach. It still looks pretty good. It's not bad. Like it's fine. Um, then we had War of the Space Giants. Awesome. Uh, which uh, there's a ray gun that shoots poisonous gas or toxins into Earth. That's not good. So we got to put a stop to that. And they did. Uh, there's yeah, thank de- goodness. There's Destroyers of the Sun. That's the one where he makes like a whole bunch of different... Uh, mm. uh, oh, wait, no. That's the one where they destroy the sun. Yeah. That's the one where they try to black out the sun. Then the, later on, they're going to do the opposite. There's robot, the robot Monster from Mars. That's the one with the robot. There's the Hydrogen Hurricane. That's the one where they uh, try to move the, the moon closer to the Earth. Mm. They put a stop to that. Uh, there's Solar Sky Raiders. Also sounds awesome. What a great title. Um, I think this is though this is the one with the duplicate sons. And I'm not sure. I think one of these episodes in this chunk here has the only great dialogue exchange okay. in the entire series. Because mostly it's pretty corny, bad dialogue. But there's one bit in this one of these episodes, and I think it might be the one we just talked about. Where they have to go to planet M27. Now you might notice, that's not in our solar system. It's probably pretty far. So Dick says, planet M27, where is that? To which Commando Cody replies, it's, to the, it's the first solar system west of ours. You know... Because that's West. the way space works. Yeah, you know, you know, like in Han Solo is always just like, oh, where's Coruscant? West, of course. West of here. Never eat shredded wheat. West. Okay, take a left. Boom. <laughs> Never eat shredded wheat. What? That's, that's the uh, that's that, the mnemonic that's, that's that I. Your, oh wow. That's okay. the, that, when I was a kid, that was the mm. mnemonic I learned because I always to this day I always want to confuse east and west mm. when I'm trying to think of like, oh, do I go east or west? Never eat shredded wheat. Okay, west. West is left. On the, our, on the compass, our, on like a map. Our mnemonic was, it's just the word we. <laughs> it's easy enough. Well, it's, well, it's actually... Uh, reading from left to right, it's the word we. W-E. No, no, Shut up! No That's so much easier. That. That's so much easier. Why did they teach me the crap one? Anyway, there's, uh, I guess my teacher hated shredded wheat. Never eat shredded I like shredded wheat. I like shredded wheat fine. Yeah. I don't know what their problem was. I, I, I grew up eating boring cereals. I don't know, I still eat shredded wheat. Anyway, uh... 
oats. It's what's for dinner. And breakfast. And a sensible we're, lunch. This is a fun episode because we're never on top of it. <laughs> we're never on top of it. Okay, then there was SOS Ice Age. Uh, and that's the one where they tried to freeze the planet. That's mm. not good. And then the last two episodes are actually kind of like a, a two-parter. Because um, we actually meet other alien races that have been subjugated by the ruler. So we oh, actually yeah, yeah. we they actually go to the planet Mercury. Well, we haven't learned where the ruler is from until now. Yeah, I think they the ruler it... is just on a distant planet somewhere, and yeah. it's only until like the third or second to last episode where we finally learn he's Venusian. Yeah, so he's from Venus, and it turns out he's already conquered Mercury. And in this episode, there are two like. Uh, uh, refugees from Mercury who try to steal Commando Cody's rocket so that they can escape. And they're not planning... To, they're actually planning to, like, sell it and hide out. Like, they're just trying to escape tyranny. Mm. So that's actually kind of an interesting episode because it completely changes, like, what we're doing here. Because it's actually... We're introducing people from other planets who are friendly to us as opposed to just demonizing the other, which is kind of all we're doing. Um... Which we kind of had, we've had that in, not in Commando Cody, but I remember in Flash Gordon. Oh, definitely. It's like, all of the, the peoples that they ran into were being oppressed by Ming or wanted to appease Ming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, but we hadn't had this in Commando Cody, so it's kind of nice to say, like, yeah, he's a bad guy. He's not, like, from a bad species. He's a bad ruler. In fact, that's actually one of the last things in the show, where, uh, in this second last episode, Lost in Outer Space, uh, predates Lost in Space. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they get their their rocket hijacked by refugees, and eventually they figure it out. Then the last episode actually is like at the end of the two parter. They take place on Mercury, where it turns out, yeah, there's actually kind of like a rebellion going on and shit. And they end up capturing the main bad guy, the ruler, and he's all just like, "Ha ha, they'll uh, my people will come for me. We're a warlike species." And it turns mm-hmm. out, no, it's just that guy. <laughs> Everyone else is like, "Yay, he's gone." We can have law and order again. Quick, let's vote in some some good laws and and stop funding evil. Like, <laughs> put on your masks. Like, I don't know. Just like, <laughs> please. There's a bit in, in the in the one episode where the suns are getting hot and like mm. leading the brush fires and a whole bunch of really bad stuff. Where Rocky Jones is like, okay, you know, we can survive, but everyone on the earth has to agree to really extreme safety measures right away. We're all going to die. And I'm watching and I'm just like, yeah, a lot of Americans aren't going to do that. <laughs> a lot of Americans just be like, it's all right to burn alive. Yeah. <sighs> heard, uh, heard we should abandon, uh, should abandon the phrase, avoid it like the plague, because we don't do that. That's a good point, actually. <laughs> That's a really, uh, damn it, you're right. Damn it. <laughs> ah, <laughs> curse are stupid. Okay, anyway. Avoid it like the plague. Go to a bar. <laughs> take off your mask. Uh, don't take off your mask. No, that was, no, that was a this, joke. This was all sarcasm. Yeah, all sarcasm. Do not take that out of context. Um, anyway, so that's Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe. Compared to Radar Men from the Moon, mm. uh, which has some subtle differences, you have a different Commando Cody, uh, different uh, uh, framework. Again, episodes actually end with the situation resolved. Um. I think the episodes are a little bit longer. I could be wrong about that. The episodes are... This was before commercial breaks were built into TV shows. So you get a full 30 minutes every yeah. episode. Um, so with all that said and done, mm. 
Uh, I actually think this is a better series than Radar Men from the Moon. Oh, definitely it is. Yeah, it's got more, like, they got more ideas. They don't, because Radar Men from the Moon, like, every episode just boiled down to we fist fight in an office or we fist fight in a cafe or. So there's almost almost too much action, which is a weird thing to say about something like old well, and stodgy from the, the 50s. The but... action doesn't go anywhere or lead to anything. Mm-hmm. It's just random fist fight, at least once yeah. per installment, and it's. Same fist fight over and yeah, over. Guys, and, and the the way men fought at the time, like these big gigantic haymakers, and yeah. it, it, it's not like balletic, exciting fights. It's just like brawls. There was this old uh, uh, book you used to be able to get called How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. Okay. And uh, the idea is that Marvel had kind of a house style at the time. And so. Uh, they would do things like, you know, sort of teach you, like, here are the tricks about how to get Thor's hat right or whatever. Mm. But there would also be things about, like, how to draw a punch. Hmm. And what they said is, never always pick the most extreme pose possible for a punch because it's a picture. Hmm. You're trying to sell dynamic action. Right. So just having someone just kind of boop someone in a jaw, that's not really going to really fly off the page. So you want to do one of two things. You either want to get, like... The Hulk, like, reeling his fist back really far so that you know it has come from somewhere and it's going to go to somewhere. Or you see all the way on the other end of the punch yeah, when so they you followed see, through already. Yeah, so the punch is all the way through and the guy's, like, already falling into the foreground and, and there's his a big, flying out. big wham sound effect. And that sort of sells it. And that's kind of how all the fights are in Commando Cody, especially the Radar Men, but a little mm-hmm. bit here, where just everyone is telegraphing everything, like they're just doing it on a stage, and the people in the back need to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun, and you can tell that it was a big influence on stuff like Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the fights are also kind of over the top. They sweeten all those punch sound effects. It's so good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but uh, here, my only problem is that the action itself gets repetitive eventually anyway, where it's like all about, oh, we gotta fix the ship. Mm. Every episode, they gotta fix the ship. Yeah, and, and let the be- ship come prefixed. Just let it stop and doing that. But the but the uh, challenge is always different and exciting. I'll give them that. Maybe it's because I'm used to the way ad structures, uh, like advertising structures, worked into TV shows. But I'm kind of used to shows being 22 minutes now. Yeah, and not a full 30. A full 30 feels like it feels a lot. I mean, it's a huge amount of time longer. It's eight full minutes you're yeah. getting. Oh yeah, it's and, like it's like another it's not, like thirty percent longer. But it's not like they're in the nineteen fifties. They were packing that with a lot more action and story. No, it's actually it's pretty actually slow a lot of the it's time. It's less story and less action with eight more minutes of time to deal with. So the pacing is really maddening. The pacing is this is this. Here's the deal. I want to like this show so much. <laughs> There's a lot I like about it. It looks better than Radar Men from the Moon. Not just because the version mm. we saw was pretty cleaned up, but like, but because it just was, seems to have been shot better. Um, the cast seems a little better than Radar Man from the Moon overall. Uh, the writing is maybe not cleverer, but at least more imaginative. Mm. So I'll give it some credit for that. And yet, even so, man, this thing is a sleeping pill. I I tr- <laughs> I struggle to get here's I some here's what I often do when mm. I research Cancel Too Soon because um I I, I usually watch it late at night. Mm. Like I I wait until you know my wife goes to bed. And then she doesn't have to, like, sit through half of a series she's never going to see again and probably isn't that interested in. Um, so what I'll do is, like, around 10.30 or 11 at night, I'll start watching a Cancel Too Soon show. Okay. It took me three tries to get through the first episode of this one. Oh I fell God. asleep two times <laughs> at the same point, like 20 minutes in. And stuff was happening at that point. They were in that burning barn. Mm. Like... No, I was so bored with it. So I had to end up just watching it in the morning. 
I had to make, I had to carve out time I usually spent doing other things, like editing episodes, stuff like that. Like, I actually had to just completely change my whole schedule around Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe. Which, by the way, doesn't go to much of the universe. Mostly spends it on No. Bit of a misnomer. It's more like Sky Marshal of part of the U.S. But I will say this. For the stuff that I've seen of the time that was comparable Mm -hmm. on television, it's as good as anything. Like, there wasn't... Kids, especially, like, I realize there was probably some crossover audience for this, but this is basically a kid's show. Kids entertainment was barely entertainment for a long time. Well, compared to what we have now, um, there was a, a really great DVD box set out there you can get called Hey Kids! Exclamation point. Mm. And it's nothing but uh, individual episodes of many different shows that were really popular at the same time in the early to mid-50s. Right. And uh, I watched some of them. You got to see, like, Kukla Fran and Ollie. You know, these shows that mm. nobody even remembers anymore. And... Like, a a kid's show host would just sort of step out, the camera would run, they wouldn't really edit, a lot of this wasn't really scripted, a lot of it was very, you know, extemporaneous and improvised, but it's all very gentle, and they do things like whistle, or Mm. blow bubbles, and it's kind of mind-blowing to think that that's what kids' entertainment was. We tend to think of kids' entertainment as the kind of the stuff we grew up up on. Really over-commercialized, really kind of hyper-kinetic, really flavorful and sugar and and, and active all the time because it needed to drive kids to distraction and also advertise something to them. It was very aggressive. And it's only gotten more aggressive. And of course, now it's like much more textured and nuanced in some corners. But there's now such a volume of it that you can, you have everything now. Yeah, any kind of of show you're looking for Everything's really, uh, you know, I, I don't... I don't know, um, maybe at least outside of the world of anime, if there is any kids' entertainment that is just sort of slow and gentle now. Well, they typically stuff for younger kids. Mm. Like, yeah, well, yeah, really young, young kids. Yeah. Like, that, that stuff still exists. Like, toddler stuff is okay. You've got, yeah, like, I've seen, PBS I, kids I've seen a stuff. few things. Yeah. I've seen a few things. Like, um, I keep abreast of mm. uh, the animation sort of uh, uh, wing. That's um, very much Michelle's world. Mm. So I've been watching a lot of stuff for... A variety of ages, and yeah, there are there are some quieter shows. Okay, there are some calmer shows out there. Um, okay, well, I, I I have a kid, and I'm even not even then I'm not abreast of it all. Well, fair enough. But uh, I'm, I think I'm it's, not going to... one, I think with Sarah and Duck, I think is one. Oh, I've seen Sarah and Duck. Yeah. It's a British show. Yeah, so that's a, that's a sweet one, right? Okay. That's that's yeah. not super kinetic. That's that's no. very chill. But it's also good. Like also, it's a good show. I also confuse it with another show that's called Peg Plus Cat. Oh, I don't know that one. Sarah and Duck and Pe- Peg Plus Cat. I mean, I get, I see. Peg Plus Cat is a math, like a math show on PBS. Yeah. Um, but there, anyway, there was, but there was actually a fair amount of variety in the 1950s. A show my mom used to tell me about a lot, and I've actually never. Um, I don't know. Maybe I should. I don't think I've ever actually looked for it on YouTube. I should look for it. But uh, there was a show called Winky Dink and You. Do you ever hear of Winky Dink and You? And me? Well, and you like, and you. Like, like and Y-O-U? And, yeah, and Y-O-U. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Winky Dink and You. Uh, Winky Dink and You was a show. It actually lasted a while. I looked it up. It was like four seasons. Mm. Um, but it was an it was a cartoon character named Winky Dink and a dog. And it was, it's considered now the first like interactive TV show. Because what would happen oh, okay. is you would watch Winky Dink and the last few minutes of the show, there would be an opportunity for the audience to play along and what they would do is they would sell these like plastic or vinyl uh coverings for your tv screen 
and you would put them oh, over your TV yeah, screen, yeah, yeah. and they would have something to do. Like you could draw on mm. your TV without hurting your TV. Mm. So it'd be like, oh, connect these dots or color this in or something. And well, so we used to do that with plastic wrap. You stick yeah. it on your cathode ray tube. But the Winky Dinky New made that like a gimmick. Oh, okay. So like did, there did, was some there was some other odd stuff there. There was you ever, sort of, uh, you know. Do you ever draw a mustache on your TV screen and just wait for that magical moment when someone would pass by in just the right spot? No, actually, I don't think I ever did. <laughs> oh, what God, I, that was such a fun game. What I used to do is I used to, like, sit in front of my TV when I was really young. I was sitting on my TV, and I'd lay down, but I'd lay down with, like, my head facing the TV, but I'd lay on my back, so everything was upside down. Okay. And I just imagined there was a whole community of weird hanging chin monsters. <laughs> Where they were all hanging from like the roof like bats, and it was all just a bunch of chins. And I'm like, I'm upset. Try it sometime. People look weird. Like it looks really weird if you just start living in that world for a while. Like watch a whole episode of TV that way. It's really fucking weird. Um, especially like talking head type TV, like we used to have on like kid shows, mm. where it wasn't like people jumping around doing acrobatics. It was all like talking to you, yeah. kind of thing. Really weird. Um, but I digress. Uh, so my question, the reason why I brought up context, is because. If we ask ourselves, was Commando Cody Sky Marshal of the Universe canceled too soon? Mm. It's worth remembering what was on at the time. Because today, yeah, I don't think there's a market for this show as it is. Like, there might be a fun no. reboot you could do of it, and that might be cool, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking okay. about this version of the show. So, in 19... Well, I, in I, the, think, I think I'll... Even without context, just ask, do you want to see more of this Commando Cody? You, of this you, exact version? You, this exact version, you in 2020. Do you want to see more? Do you wish there had been more Commando Cody? Regardless of what it was up against at the time. Not especially, no. Yeah, me neither. No, but I'm trying to imagine I, I, if I, I was like, a kid I like, watching this in the yeah. 50s, would I have a different opinion? Hmm. I, I probably would. I might have dug something like this in the 1950s. I would have dug something like this when I was a kid in the 80s. Yeah. Like we if, were still watching I, stuff like this in the 80s. This kind of stuff was still on TV once in a while Yeah, it show up on public TV a lot, too. Yeah. Um, but no, this show was not canceled too soon. Mm. Uh, although I do think it's a shame that Commando Cody has pretty much disappeared from the public consciousness, except as a sort of a trivia footnote. Yeah. How he inspired this character from Star Wars and how he inspired the Rocketeer. Um, and I think that there's actually some potential here. I do like the creation of Commando Cody. Mm-hmm. I like the general vibe of Commando Cody. I especially like how this series made him like a superhero in like a Roland Emmerich kind of universe where he fought these giant, huge planet-wide problems yeah. rather than just guys like the, in suits. The, the budget wasn't always big enough to depict those, but they had big ideas. Yeah, I appreciate the ideas. This is clearly an improvement on Radar Man from the Moon. Mm. Clear, 100%. I haven't seen, uh, what was it, Zombies of the Stratosphere? <laughs> great title, too. Yeah, another great title. I haven't seen that one. That's not technically Commando Cody. And actually, um, the original uh, Rocket Man suit was actually in a show, I think it was called, like, King of the Rocket Men? Mm. Um... Sounds yeah, King right, of the Rocket yeah. Man, 1949. Um, so that was the original appearance of it, but that wasn't Commando Cody either. But Commando Cody got like multiple opportunities as a character yeah. to find like an audience. And so when we think of the original Rocket Man, we think of Commando Cody. Um, I wish the character had more legs. I wish there had been like more reboots, maybe another movie. Like when Star Wars was big and we did Flash Gordon, maybe someone could have revived Commando Cody for like an early 80s movie. That might have been kind of fun. Well, I mean, given what we got with Flash Gordon, sure. Yeah, why not? Like, I love that Flash Gordon. That kind of tone, like, why not? Like, let's do it. Um, Would have been kind of fun, and it would have kept the character alive a bit, and people would remember them more fondly, and maybe we could have had, like, new Commando Cody stuff now. Mm -hmm. Um, But as it stands, the character is functionally dead. Um, And I always hate it when history kind of dies like this, because Commando Cody isn't entirely a footnote. 
kind of Cody does actually have influence. Kind of Cody mm-hmm. is a part of history in an interesting way. Yeah, not and, just and because of saying at the, the top yeah. of the show, the way it dictated what television was going to be. Yeah. Kind of that. It was the, the bridge. Yeah. Well, one of them anyway. One of the bridges that filled the gap between uh, serialized theatrical entertainment and serialized home entertainment. Yeah. So uh, that is it for Cancel Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back next week with uh, a new series. Well, new new for us. (laughs) All of our series are old. Uh, We're going to be back with... uh, We had a poll on our Patreon uh, for animated uh, series on Disney+. Plus. A lot of people have Disney Plus now. A lot mm-hmm. of people jumped right on that bandwagon. Yep, and uh, Disney, to their credit, they, I mean, there's a lot that's not on Disney Plus. That's why we have a Patreon exclusive podcast called Not on Disney Plus. Mm. But um, to their credit, they actually did mine their their uh, library and release a bunch of shows that weren't big hits. Most of them are superhero related. Like they have a lot of the Marvel shows, especially after they bought Fox. Um, so there's a lot of failed. Marvel type shows and uh, the one that won the poll by one vote it was a one it was maybe the closest race we've ever had that didn't end in a runoff by one vote the winner was Spider-Woman from 1979 uh, from DePatty Freeling uh, which actually has an interesting sort of history. We can talk yeah. about that next week. Uh, Spider Woman is the the, 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 the the Pink Panther studio. Yeah, they did the Pink Panther. Yeah. They were also responsible for doing the original lightsaber animation in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Nice. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was kind of neat. Patty and Freeling. That is Frizz Freeling. Mm-hmm. Animation legend Frizz Freeling. Yeah. I remember watching Spider Woman cartoons on video. They had like video oh, okay. releases oh, of like the yeah, warehouse. Yeah, yeah. You could rent them. Mm. Um, so that's kind of fun. So I'm looking forward to to revisiting them. I. That you know, a lot of those old animated shows do not hold up very good, uh, but that's the fun of discovery, isn't it? Yeah. And that's what we're gonna do uh, here at Cancel Too Soon. So uh, join us next week for that, and then mm-hmm. stick around because we teased this earlier, and then July kind of got away from us. But August is Anime Month. We've done a little <laughs> anime in the past. We're gonna do more of it because we think we have enough to do a whole month. TV is different in Japan than it is in America, so it's so yeah, a lot of these are going to be kind of, but we think they yeah, qualify. What, what counts as a single season or as a miniseries? Mm. What was is, intended yeah, to go on yeah. longer, what wasn't, etc. Yeah. Um, it, it's not as cut and dry as it is in America all the time, but we do think we have enough series to do a whole month. Yeah. So that's going to go on in the month of August, and we're very, very excited about that. And then after that, we have a 200th episode coming up. We sure do. That's cool. Hmm. That's exciting. Never thought we'd get to that. <laughs> here not, sh- but here we are. I'm not sure what I thought would derail us. I just, life, I guess. But yeah, we, yeah 200 we'd episodes. Lose interest at some point. But yeah. Holy crap. Still going. Like we always said we'd never run out of material. And we still haven't. And indeed, we've held on to some of the larger series, specifically for stuff like 200th episodes. Mm-hmm. So for the 200th episode, we're going to do a big one. Maybe Some, not the some, one you think, but we'll do one of them. Something special. Yeah, we'll make we'll make it fun. Uh, so uh, anyway, that's that. Uh, you can email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net if you want to talk about anything we talked about on this episode or literally anything else at all. Uh, we might read your letter on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Uh, we also have a ton of other shows uh, here at the Critically Acclaimed Network, the free channel, which you're listening to right now. Um, new movie reviews. We have episode zero. We talk about the prehistory of Star Wars. Um... And other things as well. And and, uh, we also have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. 
That's a fun one. That is a bunch of exclusive stuff. <laughs> That's a fun one. <laughs> I'm running out of energy. Stop. I, I can tell. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that is our Patreon. That is where you can find all of our, our exclusive content. We have various tiers. Each tier unlocks a new uh, wave of content that you can access. Yeah. Uh, if you are subscribed at a top tier, you essentially get a show every day. Uh, yeah. that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe not every weekend, but yeah, we, we're trying to, especially while the, the pandemic has us homebound, we can really crank it out. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. Anyway, so there's a ton of stuff there. Star Wars, Disney, Star Wars, Star Trek, Disney, Firefly. Uh, we've got a, a Oscars podcast we're going to do sometime this week. We're also behind on our commentary tracks, and we've decided we're going to do a whole trilogy. Uh, so we're going to do all of the original Evil Dead movies uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. And those are for those are subscriber exclusives. Yeah, but it's it's available as well. Um, so um, yeah, there's a ton of stuff, and uh, I think that's it. So thank you everybody for listening. Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. <laughs>